and welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Here we are, recording again. Uh, I think we did a pretty good job last week, for those of you that haven't uh, seen our YouTube video. I, uh, I, I'm trying to find the most consistent place to look with my eyes, so... I yeah, think, I'm still I'm still struggling with that. I'm still looking at you because we're having a conversation, but right. I know I could be looking at you, the audience. Well, looking at the camera, I think, is almost just as awkward. But yeah. uh, I'm going to focus looking at you like I like, normally would. Yeah, but no, so. we did we did it. We did a good job last week. I think you did a better job this week. I'm seated. Yes, and there's no bright light behind me. Instead, it's a it's a school board. That is correct. So uh, hopefully, it'll uh, be a little more pleasant on the eyes. Uh, yeah. How are you today? Good, sir. Uh, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Can't complain. Same old, same old. Training, training. We had a little uh, pre-recording discussion. I've got a couple job interviews lined up this week, so that's exciting. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, same old, same old. Just doing this thing, uh, you know, trying to crack that uh, industry I'm getting into and just training every day. Training, training, training while I still can because, you know, uh, that's the thing. Like when you get an injury and stuff, you always think about it like, oh man, like when you can't train, that's when you're suddenly like missing mm-hmm. out so much. So I always try to, and obviously right now I'm still trying to compete uh, in Muay Thai and kickboxing. So, you know, I take my training very seriously and I'll always keep training, but really I have to remember, you know, especially on the days where you're just dragging because I'm doing two days every day right now, uh, sometimes three if you count hot yoga. And I, I just have to remember to be thankful that I get to do, that I physically can do this, that I'm in the position that I can do this. Because some days you're just like, I don't want to, but you're like, actually, no, I do want to. (laughs) And I have to remind myself of that, that I've invested the time and I should be, I should feel fortunate and lucky that I can, because not everyone out there can. Well, you you know, that's a great point. And I think uh, there's one thing about training and exercise, you know, we all know this. Once you miss one day, two days, three days, a week, it's so hard to get restarted. But what we don't always discuss is once you are started and have a regular routine, there so often, at least at least for me, there's some way, there's some voice that somehow tries to convince me to, oh, you know, instead of doing this right now at 6.15, maybe I could do it at 8.15, mm. you know? So there's there's... There's always this slight, quiet knock at the door inviting you not to do exercise. But when you're not doing exercise, there's no knock at the door to say, hey, come on, let's go exercise. Yeah, uh, it's funny because, and this is going to sound not pretentious, but like, for example, I never have any issues doing one workout a day. As I said, I've never taken a day off in 20 years. I think even, I mean, the only thing I might count is in traveling internationally and literally being on an airplane for like 16 hours even then i'll do seven days in a row to make up for that but it's the sometimes getting the second workout in that i'm yes and i do exactly that i'm like well i was supposed to go at one in the afternoon maybe i'll go at two or uh, three uh," and then finally it's like oh it's 4 30 i gotta get it done so i can cook dinner but yeah we've we've all had that visitor at the door as you put it but it sounds like the training is going going great actually yeah, training's great. Training's good. So uh, can't complain. I love uh, all the people I get to train with. Uh, and yeah. So uh, and uh, how's your training been? How's uh, soccer been? Soccer's going well. Uh, our opponents did not show up last night, which, well, they did not show up in full on time. Oh. So I don't like winning that way, but it does uh, take us to the next level. So we have a chance nice. to be back to back champions. A win's a our- win, baby. 
in our futsal league, which is indoor soccer, five on five, a high tempo and high heat. Because I got to tell you, the, that building bakes all day and then it just holds the heat. So you, even if you're standing, you start sweating. So it, it's like hot yoga, but hot soccer. So that's a, that's an interesting one. Does that count on your guys' record for the season as a win? I mean, we advance. Okay, we advance yeah. to the next round. So because uh, it, I've always wondered that because I have what would technically be a, a win in kickboxing in a tournament I did where we got into the ring, me and the opponent, and then he forfeited for some reason. Yeah. I was brought to the middle. My arm was raised. It was sit. We're all like, "What the hell?" Like so, but I'm. I've never counted that as a win on my record. But would I, you count that as a win? I mean, so it doesn't feel like one, right? Right. It doesn't. So, as someone who wants to go through the motions to get that win, it doesn't feel like a win. But we have to remember there's preparation, preparation, training, and as they say, showing up is half the battle or something. Whoever, whatever percentage they want to put it at, but. Showing up is a major portion of the battle and showing up on time as well. And showing up on time doesn't mean making it a minute before game time, which I'm guilty of sometimes. <laughs> it's more about showing up 30 minutes ahead of time, 45 minutes ahead of time, so you can do a proper warm up, proper stretch, a re warm up, and then uh, get on the court. But, you know, so in many ways, the fact that we showed up and the other team didn't show up, it, it is a win, but it doesn't feel like one. Yeah. I, I get you. I get you. But that's cool that you guys get to progress to the next level. Indeed. 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 Oh, God. Don't get me started on Indeed. I'm on there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, martial arts movie news. Uh, off the top of my head, once again, with these ongoing strikes and everything else, not a whole lot uh, being mentioned or going on. Uh, I will say, though, something I discovered today and was talking to this gentleman about uh, another individual in the martial arts community is joining the podcast game that's right the other wing chun guy topher from oh, Florida, very nice. who is a friend of our friend uh the kung fu genius sifu alex richter uh he is going to be starting his own podcast i like it yeah i was super pumped so i messaged him saying oh awesome congrats and then uh he's picking my brain a little bit on some of our podcasting uh uh what would you call it hosting options and this and that. So yeah, that'll be really cool. He's a uh, very uh, intelligent fellow. Uh, he's been on Alex's podcast before, Steve Alex's podcast. And uh, he's a, uh, I think he's going to be a plethora of knowledge on martial arts and other things, specifically uh, maybe some anime stuff. Cause I know he's a big fan of anime and I'm one of those weird people that only got into anime as an adult. I actually mm -hmm. despised it as a kid as uh, like literally i thought it was like weird and stupid i can tell you the exact animes i did like as a kid in fact i should say love street fighter 2 the movie ninja scroll the movie and uh fist of the north star the tv series uh, oh I had, very yeah. nice but other than that i thought like pokemon was really weird I, I didn't watch uh dragon ball i didn't think dragon ball was stupid but i just never really seen it so all this stuff and then i probably mentioned this before it wasn't until i met jessica and she, you know, we're getting to know each other. I'm like, well, I love kung fu movies, obviously. And she's like, oh, well, I grew up watching anime. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's cool. So her and I slowly started watching anime together. And I just fell in love with it, especially, you know, like the real anime feature films, right? You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're talking, uh, 
what what's his name? I always pronounce his name incorrectly. Hayazaki. Uh, or- Miyazaki. Miyazaki. There we go. I mean, the Studio Ghibli films, right? So like Spirited Away and those I, I love. And even the newer ones that come out in that style, we'll actually go to the theaters to see. And so I'm a big fan of anime now. And then I like a lot of the martial arts-based shows. Uh, and it's fun. It's just fun, a little bit of escapism. It's, it's kind of similar to my trajectory with uh, wuxia films, where as a kid, I liked them or kind of appreciated them, but didn't love them. Now I love them. Just like how I liked Iron Monkey as a kid, I love it now. That yeah. the, the over-the-top insaneness. And I think a lot of that has to do with my transition from being a recreational or civilian martial artist, as Sugarfoot would say, into a, you know, a fighter where you're never going to be able to truly replicate real fighting on screen. Now, don't get me wrong. My favorite is still like the Hong Kong kickboxing choreography of the 80s, you know, Sam Jackie and stuff. But I think because I, I've done the real thing now for so long, the real deal, uh, that I appreciate the over-the-top fantastical side of it. Because I'm like, oh, that's something I can never do. It's not even possible. So it's fun to see it on screen, right? Absolutely. Uh, especially because nowadays, it's I feel like they nobody can truly capture that classic 80s style of like kickboxing choreography. And uh, I shouldn't say nobody. It's just it's rare that it, it has the same heart and soul to it. Whereas, I'm not saying that they can do wuxia any better nowadays, but I have a lot more to draw on from the past that I haven't seen before in that sense. But I've just gone down a rabbit hole. Anyways, congratulations to our friend uh, Topher. We're looking forward to your podcast. Uh, any martial arts movie news on your side? I mean, I've seen Godzilla throw a kick. And it was, you know, I've been living in a hole and I know his new movie's coming out, G-Zero. Oh, I haven't watched the trailer yet, but everyone's oh, wow. in, does it look good? Fantastic. Ooh, is it, it, it's the old style Godzilla, right? It's the old style Godzilla yeah. and it, kinda, it it seems to be the, the prequel to the emergence of Godzilla. Uh, just looks fantastic and it is being released nationwide in America. So I was worried I'd have to like find it at a niche movie theater. So I'm really looking forward to it. I have a, I have a long-standing history watching Godzilla films. When does it come growing out? Up, I believe December first ish. Let's go see it together, ish. baby. Oh, you got it. Yeah, I'm totally down. That'll be a fun one. Go get some Japanese food. Make it a whole themed thing. Now the question is: uh, Is Godzuki going to be in it? Oh, is that the kid? Yeah, from the cartoon. Okay. Godzilla and Godzuki. This one seems to be a, a very, it's one of those serious takes. Oh. So it'll be, a, I think it deals with like the nuclear bomb and everything. Did, did you see the, the new Godzilla ones? Uh, the like American y- co-production yes, ones? Like, yes, I did. I loved them. They were great. Yeah. Very well made. Matthew yeah. Broderick was great. <laughs> but not as good as Jean <laughs> Renault. Yeah, no. Oh my god. No, gosh, but seriously, yeah, Godzilla. no. No, wow. I I I've watched them. I enjoy you know, I enjoy all the Godzilla films, particularly when they're in the theater. I don't necessarily rent a bunch of them, but uh, you know, long history of seeing Godzilla films with my mother, with my sister. Um You know what fa- though? Yes. Godzilla late nineties Godzilla is like one of those last films around that era where it was Godzilla Phantom Menace, because I want to say that Godzilla was ninety-eight, maybe. It's somewhere Where, between late 90s and 2000. No, it definitely wasn't 2000. I remember it was 90s. Okay. And it was one of those last films which were just totally representative of the 90s where it was everywhere. It was tied into every product placement you can think of where the, you know, the soundtrack was huge. There was yes. the music video. There was this, I can't remember which 
Was it the Wallflowers? We could be heroes. That uh, Pro- probably came from that time. we could be heroes just for one day. And I, I, I don't think, know. I it was either was Pizza tight. Hut or Domino's. Probably had uh, well, a Taco Bell with the, oh, the it was Chihuahua. Taco Bell. Because it there. was the like the Chihuahua was trying to catch Godzilla, and he comes out. He's like, <laughs> "I'm going to need a bigger box." <laughs> like, and that was <laughs> the whole gimmicky commercial. Everybody remember? Wow, I forgot I about that. Was Pepsi, like, it was just this different time, this different yeah. era where that's how films were marketed. That's the tie-in. That's everybody's making money. Everybody's enjoying themselves. The economy was good. Yeah, but <laughs> alas, uh, that was uh, uh, an element of the past. I'm trying Coming to look back, at it. baby. So 98, I was right. And it, oh, Roland Emmerich, I forgot. But uh, let's see if it's got anything on the sound. Oh, music. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. It was that single Come With Me with uh, P. Diddy and Jimmy Page, where it did the rip from uh, the Led Zeppelin song. Oh, man. But I think it still may have had. Let me see what else is on here. Oh, Deeper Underground by Jamiroquai was on that one. So yeah, I don't think that We Could Be Heroes is on there. That must have been a different movie. But anywho, Godzilla. Godzilla's coming out. Excited about that for sure. Uh, okay, so let's go into movie quotes. Do you have a movie quote I, for me, good sir? I do have one for you. Okay. Ambition without knowledge is like a boat on dry land. Oh, I know this. I feel like you've maybe used this before. Wait. I have not used this, but I've okay. used a quote from this character before. Right, because it's Mr. Miyagi. Yes. Yeah, and it's... Uh, so I'm trying to think which one it is, though. It is... Number two. Three. Julie-san. Oh, number four. Damn, you got me. You got me. That's what I was like, huh. Uh, okay. Yeah, see, I knew it was Miyagi, uh, but the next Karate Kid. The next Karate Kid. Wow, she's uh, she's the next uh, one that they're going to have to bring into the series somehow. I hope so. Her, like her jumping, her jump kick. For someone, and well, here's the deal. She was kind of a natural athlete. She had never done any martial arts. And although that movie is very partially criticized, and rightfully so in some yeah. aspects, uh, I think she did a great job playing like the teen angst. You know, she took it up to a next level more so than even, you know, Ralph uh, Macchio in especially the first one. He was a likable, lovable guy that had some slight anger issues, right? Hers is just, she went into the deep end with the anger issues, but then we get to see the evolution of her character. But martial arts-wise, she was much better than Ralph Macchio, for sure. And uh, she she proved, obviously, to be kind of a natural athlete later going on to do Million Dollar Baby, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, there you go. You got the quote. All right, cool. Almost. Well, Almost. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, you got uh, Okay, it. so... Are we ready to start discussing today's film? Let's let's round it up. I'm trying too hard there. Yeah, yeah. Start over. Are you ready to talk about today's film? I can't wait. Today, we are discussing the 2022 Korean action thriller, The Roundup, a sequel to the film The Outlaw, starring the incredible Ma Dong-seok, a.k.a. Don Lee. So for today's episode, being that uh, we typically try to, you know, use the proper pronunciation or use people's uh, names, but Don Lee is just going to be easier because neither of us speak very good Korean and Ma 
Dong Siok. I don't want to be butchering his name the whole time. So we're just going to use his English name, which he officially has, as Don Lee. So uh, this was your first time watching it, correct? This is my first time watching it. Uh, second time, I, I want to say maybe the second or third film of Don Lee's that I'd seen. But first right. time watching the film. Because I think I had you watch Unstoppable before, right? Yes. And and my first film of his was actually Train to Busan. Oh, of course. Yeah. And that's kind of the film that put him on the map. So normally we wouldn't pick a, a sequel where we haven't talked about the first one, or at least that is an established, uh, not an established franchise in the martial arts genre. But I just felt like we, we were talking about Korean cinema. And I said, well, like, let's do a Korean movie. I've been wanting to do this one. And the great thing about this film is you don't need to have seen the first one. It's he, so Don Lee plays the same character, Detective, uh, also, I believe, Ma, correct? It's, uh, do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. and once again, I have the names all popped up, so I don't forget them. Yeah, Detective Ma, Ma Seok Do, which is actually very similar to his real name. It's just like reversing him. So yeah. Detective Ma, uh, where he's, he's a no-nonsense but very like I'd say lovable, nice guy. He's uh, he's a detective uh, in a unit, like a special unit. They have their captain, who pretty much Detective Ma runs the show. The captain's kind of just there. But uh, yeah, the sequel you don't need to have seen the first one. It's like he, him, and his team return, and there's one supporting character that returns. But other than that, it, it's sort of like the Lethal Weapon movies. You can step into Lethal Weapon two and be okay. Lethal Weapon 3, same thing. Eh, there's a little more character development in those and deeper ties, but still, you can very comfortably watch this film and be highly entertained. And I really liked the first one. I loved this one. And I love Don Lee as mm-hmm. the lead. He is possibly, because I'd say most American audiences aren't that familiar with him outside of his role in The Eternals, which is in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But of in the 21st century, he is one of the greatest action stars we have been fortunate enough to have. He is a throwback to the macho action stars of the 80s, except for he delivers in ways with his physicality and acting abilities that none of them could. And that even includes Stallone, uh, when I say that in terms of, you know, acting. And, and here's the deal. I've loved a lot of Stallone's performances and Schwarzenegger, you know twins kindergarten cop he showed a lot of range but don lee physically when it comes to the action scenes is a step above and beyond for example and this is probably bold to say but stallone schwarzenegger a lot of those guys and on top of that he also brings he brings this almost superhero type machismo element to it yet at the same time is an everyday man we can relate to he doesn't have the super unnatural rip physique of these other gentlemen i'm talking about but he is built like a power lifter but he's, so it, he's built like a guy that power lifts goes to the gym you could tell he's strong as hell but he knows how to use that physicality and it's totally believable even though he's doing unbelievable things in terms of some of his actions so I, I do love that you hearken him back to the 80s. Uh, for me, I'm actually going to go back to the 50s. And I, I, it, always, it always frustrated me when, when, uh, when the reviews of, of Asian films uh, and they relate like this actor to that person or this guy's direct. He's just like, like B. Takeshi is like Charles Bronson of this era. So there, there were a lot of reviews back then. However, with, 
with that said, there is something that is extremely classic cinema about him. Yes. And you can feel like he's, so I'm not comparing him to Robert Mitchum, but I'm saying he's carrying the mantle of Robert Mitchum and Charles Bronson and John Wayne with him in a present day setting. He's got this great charisma. He's, but also with like, and it's kind of what you're saying when, when you're referring to the eighties, he has this acting range that is so inviting to the audience. Uh, he can hit three or four notes, emotional notes at the same time where you want to laugh. You might want to cry. You might uh, want to get up and cheer. And so that's just three notes that I could think of right there. But that's, that's how he is in every scene. Perfect. Perfect. Because you're right. Physi- like physically in terms of the action and what he's doing, like the 80s. But in, in terms of his acting and performance, you're right. You got, it harkens back to more of like classic Hollywood in a sense. But also like I, I can see him. He's got the cool of Steve McQueen with like that charm and smile of like a Paul Newman, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got that likability because he, he's very, especially in this role, other roles, he's much more serious uh, roles like in Unstoppable. He's actually kind of you know, a mess up. He's like, oh, here he's just the no nonsense cop. And it's another one of those films. And I've always been a huge fan of these uh, good versus evil. Like he is just a good cop. There's no political agenda. Yeah, he bends the rules a little bit. But all he cares about is upholding justice. And I'm very old school like that. Like I one of my top 10 films of all time, non-martial arts wise is the untouchables. It's actually really in the top five. I just love stories about good triumphing over evil and he's a representative of that like in this right he's a he's a no he's a no nonsense cop but kind of lighthearted and fun until he needs to not be lighthearted and fun and and you're you're spot on there and i mean and 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 the untouchables the brian de palma film is with with sean connery kevin costner and of course uh some other fun fun cast members in there is your friend died screaming like a stuck irish pig (laughs) that's the great billy drago who we're a huge fan of which that was my first film seeing him and that's why every other film after that i'm like Oh, I always thought he was some sort of A-list actor. I think he just got lucky and got <laughs> in the got, Untouchables. He, he and, tricked yeah. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, but, like, there's, that film is also a throwback uh, to to the classic style of Hollywood filmmaking. And, and this, this character that he plays feels mm-hmm. like an extension of the best of Dirty Harry, the best of those Clint Eastwood yeah. cop films. There is just something, someone who's bending the rules, but not bending the rules to the point of total extreme, bending the rules to get to to do the right thing. I mean, there's there's a great scene near the end where there's where there's a uh, an opportunity for him to be uh, to be bribed, and it's just the way he plays that scene. It's like you don't get it. He's not going to be bribed. Yeah, he's here to bring justice. Yeah, we've Period. seen we've seen that in other films where it's like maybe they 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 kind of smile and act like they're going to take it, and then it's like this big deal, like no, or they throw the money away, or how did you know? He's just like, bro, no, I am going to take you in, and I also love his fearlessness that he brings to the character. Like he's afraid of no one, and when we get to talking about these antagonistic characters, these villains are sociopathic. They're not scared of anyone. They've literally at one point taken on an entire team of professional mercenaries. And then Detective Ma walks in and just hands them a beat down by himself. And you could see fear in their eyes for the first time. They've been terrorizing everyone else until they meet him. And he's just like, no, he's that's what I just love. He's that he brings that. 
he brings the same sort of like the 80s macho guys a level of invincibility. Yeah, he's not invincible. He gets cut and stuff, but it's more of a realistic one. Unlike Commando where Schwarzenegger doesn't like get hit at all until the finale or, you know, it's it it, it has that same level that we want to see in our protagonist, our macho action hero, but it's almost a little more real world. And a lot of that, as we said, has to do with his physical delivery. Now, Mm -hmm. a little bit of background on Don Lee. So he'd actually, so he was born in South Korea, but if I'm not mistaken from the research I did, he moved to America in the very late 80s, 89 to go to university, University of Ohio. And I remember before there used to be more information on his Wikipedia and it's been edited a little bit, but I'm pretty sure he studied like kinesiology and powerlifting. Hence why he's built like this big old power lifter. And uh, famously, he was the strength and conditioning coach for two former UFC heavyweight champions, Mark Coleman and uh, who who is the other one? Hold on. Uh, Let's hear Mark Coleman and I'm sorry, I just had it here as well, but I. Oh, that's what. Okay, let's hear other activities. Oh, uh, Kevin Randleman, may he rest in peace. I should have remembered that. Uh, that was Kevin Randleman uh, who passed away. But yeah, so, and then later he moved back to Korea to start his film career and then really took off uh, with his supporting role in Train to Busan. And anybody who hasn't seen Train to Busan, one of the best zombie films like ever made. But once again, he's a support, it, you know, it's an ensemble cast and he's not the main protagonist uh, in that picture with his son. But obviously he's he's like the badass supporting character. And it was uh, a preview of what his starring roles would be. Uh, Just him being this totally fearless, super strong. Like, he reminds you of that one dad you knew in the neighborhood that lifted weights in his garage and was super freaking strong and big, but in actuality was also kind of, you know, drank beers and ate barbecue and stuff. But he he just, he comes across like like a teddy bear who just wants to make everything right. Right. And so I feel like the reason he's so good at delivering the action has to do with A, his knowledge of the human body and kinesiology and that being his career first, and B, probably being around all these martial arts guys for years too. I'm not saying he extensively studied martial arts, but he had to know body mechanics based off of creating these conditioning programs for these martial artists. So I can only imagine that helped him later on in his career. So anywho, he goes back to South Korea, starts his career. Now he's one of the biggest action stars, my personal favorite one out of South Korea. But the the funny part is, because in this film in particular, he does a great job faking not being able to speak English. His character does not speak English. And when the little bits he tries, it comes off as comical. But he's fluent in English. Like you can watch, and he was in the, inter- the Eternals, and you can watch interviews with him where he speaks very good, almost non-accented English. So I'd love to see him get a, starring role in uh you know an american picture but i mean he doesn't really need to he's making kick-ass movies in south korea and we all know how good action films are in south korea so let's get into the plot real quick pretty much the story and these films the first one i believe took place in 2004 this one in 2008 and i believe the first one was also loosely based off of uh kind of a, or inspired by a true story this one same thing it's inspired by true events in the same vein that like crime story with jackie chan was it's not trying to actually 
represent real people or real stories, just taking inspiration from. Yeah, whereas, it's, it's, it's like ripped from the headlines. That ripped whole from thing. the headlines. Perfect. Whereas Crime Story did try to act like it was kind of more of a quote unquote <laughs> true story. These are just ripped from the headlines. So the basic premise has to do with a group of South Korean criminals that have fled to Vietnam and are terrorizing and exploiting and kidnapping and uh, holding ransom South Korean terrorists, excuse me, <laughs> South Korean tourists, uh, and, you know, stealing their money, holding them for ransom, making their loved ones save, send money. So the beginning of the film is like every expat's worst nightmare. Anybody that's lived overseas. I had a, I, I've, I've personally never had to deal with one of these, these kind of, the, well, this film, it's a very extreme case. Pretty much this rich, like millionaire son is in Vietnam exploring you know, investment options when he gets kidnapped by these con men slash, I guess you could call them like terrorists, and he's held for ransom. Uh, never get in a van in a, the middle of an open field. Dumb move on that dude's part. But uh, these kind of cons are actually very common, even when they're nonviolent ones, just kind of small end, like trying to exploit you out of a couple hundred bucks. And I've had multiple friends over my years living in Asia that got caught up in lower end versions of stuff like that. But pretty much that's the, the, the story kicks off with these. We are introduced to these criminals that this is their main activity. They've kidnapped this super rich millionaire son. Then it transitions back to Korea where our detective Ma and his uh, captain are assigned to go extradite a criminal that is turning himself into the South Korean embassy in Vietnam. Uh, but not before we get to have our introduction with Detective Ma, where he takes out a knife-wielding uh, uh, criminal that's holding hostages in a mini-mart. And that's where we get our first little quick bit of action where we get to see. I love the style that he uses for this film, but it's kind of the same style he uses in most of his films. And the best way I can describe it is it's a mix between boxing and traditional jiu-jitsu in the sense of it's like judo throws and aiki jiu-jitsu holds. Like, and uh, with the occasional kick thrown in there. But he actually utilizes really good boxing technique, not smooth, slick Mayweather style, but power punching with proper body mechanics. And that's mm -hmm. why it looks so believable. Like when he punches a guy and you see him fold up in half, it's because he's torquing his whole body in it. You know, he does slip a little bit. He knows how to use the body mechanics. So it's a really good boxing style. He does some amazing judo style throws. It's very basic and trips and he'll like literally throw guys and pick them. Uh, you know, maybe even kind of sumo-esque because of his build. And then we get the occasional kick where like he'll throw a low kick and takes a guy off his feet. He throws some super powerful like push kicks and then one killer sidekick at the end. But this little introductory sequence, he gets to throw some punches, gets to do a little bit of like jujitsu on the guy and then does an amazing judo throw. So anyways, he and his captain are sent to Vietnam to extradite this criminal. They wonder why did this guy just turn himself in? Ends up he's involved in the whole kidnapping uh, ring, uh, ring. And then so they start to investigate that. That's when they discover our uh, lead criminal, uh, Kong Hae Sung, played by Sun Suk. So we'll just call him Kong. He's the leader of the group. And that's when Detective Ma sets his sights on bringing down uh, Kong, mostly because he's terrorizing Korean citizens. And Detective Ma don't like that. Yeah, he's, if, if, he basically says, if the local authorities aren't going to protect our own, then who is? So he kind of, he, he slowly inches his um, supervisor along. 
to yeah. uh, continue the investigation. It, it's through constant coaxing. And then, um, yeah. It's, As it's, we said, he's not the captain, but he pretty much runs the show. But usually yeah. he ends up convincing his captain and then his captain gets behind him. And uh, he's kind of a bit of a, not a weenie, but, you know, he tries his best, but he is not of the same physical stature as our leading man. But yeah, so the story starts off in Vietnam. And the the thing I love about the Kong character, the antagonist, is not only is he sociopathic, not only is he a deadly badass with a knife, but he's also super entitled. He's like, that's my money now. It's like, yes. I don't care if I killed your son. That's my money. And you stole it back. You stole it away from me. Not that not like it's ransom money being taken back by the person who gave it. He's like, no, that's mine. Now I'm going to come after you. So that's yeah. where the plot progresses from Vietnam back to South Korea. So it goes back and forth. And we as audience members are given a cool, thrilling, nothing complex about the story, but keeps you going, keeps you on the edge of your seat. And it has some phenomenal action sequences throughout. So we have a big middle action sequence and then a extended finale action sequence with a few little mini ones uh, splashed throughout. It's it's a lot of fun. And I mean, again, it's this great counterbalance, as you said before. It's like our main character is good mm-hmm. and our antagonist is really, really one of the worst kind of villains you can have on yeah. film. But then in between, it's not just black and white. In between, you've got a lot of gray zone characters, people yep. who are criminals who might be helping the cops or who might not. Then you have you have uh, I'd say different shades of gray with the police. They're you know the people who work with them. Not that they uh, don't believe in good and evil, but they are. We're going to follow the procedure, or we're going to. It, and not saying that that's bad, but they're just. It's it's a very unique. There there are a lot of layers of characters through in this film. There's the the father whose son has been kidnapped. Who when he's on the phone with uh, with our antagonist. He he mentioned you took my money and my son. It, it's in that order: money, yeah. then son, and it's just all these slight nuances. And then even the even the wife, at one point when she went once the the billionaire is kidnapped uh, by this by the same antagonist, she even asks uh, someone, "You're not a cop, are you?" It felt like she was maybe trying to finagle. There's just all everybody, a lot of people on the scale of very good to very bad this gray scale that gets very dark very light there are people who balance at different parts of the scale so it makes it a very um a very realistic very good guy very realistic very bad guy in this world that is very human excellent very well put uh so pretty much that's the you know the basic plot we we established so i guess we can kind of start talking about some of the the main action sequences as we said we have these little like vignettes like there's the opening one in the mini mart that we talked about uh there's another one where uh detective ma storms uh a korean gambling den in vietnam where he gets to great sequence yeah it's it's short and sweet but man he just messes some dudes up and then same thing really good kick i think sends a guy flying some great uh Aiki jiu-jitsu type stuff, some incredible boxing. And man, when he throws his body shots and you see guys like, like, oh, it's like, it's totally believable. It's not, for example, I love Schwarzenegger. Love Schwarzenegger. It, it's, I'm hard pressed to think of a really good hand-to-hand fight scene that Schwarzenegger 
did. For example, I love the movie Commando. All I, the I, fight I, scenes <laughs> in that are hokey as hell, right? Well, and there, then, there, yes, there's, there, there's one sequence where I think it's where he's in the mall and he's fighting some security guards. It's right as he's about to exit and go to the go to Alfa Romero, right? Mm-hmm. So he punches one security guard and then he like jumps over them in a way that says, oh, Schwarzenegger is actually a really nice guy. It's like he's gingerly jumping over yeah. the guy that, and he's just kind of like stepping over and, and walking out nicely because, you know, I don't know. It, it's not like this guy who understands this world because of where he came from. Right. And so his body mechanics, so it's it's much like even, you know, a very simple one. In any sport, in tennis, in in boxing, in golf, in uh, soccer, it's the follow through. Even in track, you run through the line. So a lot of times when you have actors who are doing action sequences, they do the action to the moment of up to the moment of the strike. It's not about the follow through or what happens beforehand. What you have with Donnie Lee is you have someone. Don 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 Lee. Lee, Sorry. Don Lee, you have someone going through that finish line doing the follow through and that's what makes it so authentic and believable um so yeah when you were talking about commando i actually had rewatched a little bit of it yesterday and i'm just like i'm noticing i was watching a little bit of commando before and after watching the roundup and seeing seeing the the unique the unique actingness of schwarzenegger around the fight sequences was really and even Stallone, I mean, having done all the Rocky films, which say what you will, it's like uh, about some of the, bo- obviously it's his style. He's a little more kind of prodding. And uh, even in his non-Rocky films, like when you look at Rambo or- Stop or my mom will shoot. <laughs> yeah, or Tango and Cash, where I feel like he gets to a little more like hand-to-hand stuff. He was really good too, but there was still a little bit of a, a, a stiffness, not a, a natural martial artist or even like trained fighter where- just for some reason, Don Lee is the opposite of that. So for anybody that's seen Commando, and I love Commando, but imagine the opposite of Schwarzenegger's, Schwarzenegger's physicality in terms of the fight scenes, and that's what you get with Don Lee. He just looks so powerful. And I would go on record as saying this, and I thought about us trying to do this kind of episode, but then it gets too difficult with the different regions of cinema, but he might be the greatest cinematic puncher of all time uh, in terms of... It's not like he's not John Wayneing it like where John Wayne had the big punches, but it was totally coming, you know, from a mile away. He's just so powerful and so crisp and clean with uh, his upper body mechanics, and when he delivers his punches and strikes. Uh, so I, I'm I'm racking my brain right now. Of course, there's Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, good, right? Another, yeah, the, and and. Listen, I know that sometimes we do talk about him and his kicks can be a little you inconsistent, but he does throw a great hook is is uh, Jeff Wincott in Mission of Justice. There is one great hook that's thrown to his captain, whether you it, it's a good hook. <laughs> yeah, I guess now the audience can see your reactions when I bring up Wincott. I love but, Jeff Wincott, but to, I'm talking about like for boxing and uh, but no okay. but absolutely i'm just okay. thinking of like the best punches i've seen in film and and yes you have rocky when he's in a ring you have stallone when he's in a ring uh i will say i did see skin trade with uh tony jaw and dolph lundgren yes and dolph lundgren has some great punches in that film 
Dolph great Lundgren's punches, but underrated. I, yeah, I, I'm just all I'm saying is I'm I'm racking my brain right now, and I'm pulling from the Jeff Wincott pile all the way to even Robert Mitchum versus Hopalong Cassidy, and you might actually be right. Yeah, it's just it, he's just so it's so fun to watch him, right? It and is. So our it's, first, yeah, go ahead. No, no, it, it's 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 so realistic and fun. It's like it's slight. It's not telegraphed. But it's so like when he when he's dodging and bobbing and weaving, it's it's like you know what's coming next, and it. But it's not telegraphed. It's just so natural, authentic, and organic. And defensively, he even has some great movement where like guys will swing at him, and he just ducks underneath and like mm-hmm. grabs him and thro- picks him up and throws him. Uh, and the thing is, the reason why you can believe his physicality of picking up guys because some of like more the wrestling moves aren't exactly proper technique. The judo stuff all looks really good, but that's because he physically, at one point in the movie, does actually just pick up a character and holds him upside down. You see how strong he is, right? He's trying to get the guy to talk. But yeah, some of his, even his defensive stuff where he just slips and punches, it, it just looks like a guy that's at least had some training in boxing or martial arts. But our first big action set piece is in the middle when the mil- or billionaire, he's probably a billionaire, the billionaire father sends a, cre- uh, a team of, mercenaries to vietnam to get back his son and the money the son is already dead though at this point uh but anyways the team of mercenaries are waiting in the apartment for kong and what would be his kind of like his his bodyguard or sidekick a big another big tall korean guy uh not that kong is but kind of you know big like uh don lee but he's more built upwards uh, anywho, so this whole team of mercenaries is waiting for them in this apartment with knives, with hatchets, machetes, because obviously they probably wouldn't be able to get guns into Vietnam uh, that fast. So, and Kong, our uh, our villain, is he he has a sneaking suspicion uh, that there's people in there waiting for him. So he quietly goes in the bathroom, waits for a guy to slowly open the door, pulls him in, kills him, and then he and his partner take on the entire team of mercenaries and even though these guys are obviously supposed to be mercenaries trained military personnel it's very believable it's a it's a brutal bloody knife uh kind of like triad hong kong style fight like hatchet fight uh you know think either old school triad film or even something back to like the boxer from shantung you know where it's the hatchets and the knife so it's it's something along those lines but very modern and bloody and brutal but you totally believe that kong and his uh sidekick could realistically take on this team of like 10 mercenaries based off of this surroundings based off of their aggressiveness based off of their quite frankly psychoticness uh and then so we get this great extended bloody knife fight that goes on well yeah you know what i like about this film is it's probably definitely rated R, but it has also a PG thirteen feel to it, right? With because you know they're 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 mantles in place, so you kind of like sometimes the knife slicing's happening below the like a banister or behind a banister. It's it's not about and why I bring that up is this film is not about the brutality. You get all the brutality you need through the acting. It, it's about these fight sequences are about. The strategy that's going into the into the fight sequences, the the camera work, the actors' performances, and the editing, which is very, I, I think this, I have to, I had to go back and rewatch the scenes because I actually didn't catch the edits because they happened so well. 
And uh, excellent point because it is sort of the opposite of what we've, our issues that you and I have had with certain films out of Indonesia. Uh, I think the, the first two raid films had that perfect balance of being brutal when it needed to and gruesome when it needed to, and then toning it back down. So those are like hard R violent and it works. And as an audience member, you enjoy it. You're, you're, whoa. But then other films like The Night Comes for Us, which I still highly enjoyed, it's almost being gruesome just for gruesome sake. And this film doesn't do that, even though it easily could have. Like, yeah, there's some brutal slashing and cutting, but it's also, in a sense, kind of more realistic because, like, even when it comes to knife fighting, you know, the, the best experts will tell you in a knife fight, you know, you, you see all these demonstrations where the person disarms, it's easy, easy. But the top guys will tell you like, oh, no, you're going to get slashed and you're going to get stabbed. It's just a matter of how bad do you get slashed and stabbed and do you survive? And that's what these kind of fights, uh, uh, this sequence in particular is like. And the interesting part is after they've taken them all out, you actually find that Kong had put newspaper in his shirt or like kind of like a big or almost maybe like a phone book looking thing to absorb some of those slices as they were going for him, which mm -hmm. is another way he was able to cleverly, you know, make it out of there, not as injured. Well, and what I like about this sequence, which is almost feels like a double sequence, is it's not so extended that the audience starts to disconnect. We get a nice sequence of, of Kong versus, versus the mercenaries. Then we have a slight interlude and then Detective Detective uh, Ma shows up. Right. So, right? yeah, Detective Ma and his captain are hot on the trail of uh, their apartment as well. So they show up after the mercenaries have all been taken care of. They walk in and then they're ambushed by Kong and his uh, henchmen. And so his captain is instantly injured and out of the picture. So here we go. We've had these two villains that the whole movie have just been having their way with everybody. They've been in control. They've been the boogeyman. But now they're getting an introduction to the good guy boogeyman because once again, he shows zero fear and he's like, oh, you're uh, 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 what's his, uh, Kong Hai Song, right? And he's like, oh, OK, yeah. And then he's like, all right, cool. I'm going to arrest you. And then he just takes them <laughs> on. Like I said, yeah, he gets slashed a little bit, but he just beats the living crap out of both of them, including the big guy. In fact, his first big punch he throws like knocks the big guy out temporarily. And so he eventually takes them both on. I shouldn't say easily, but kind of easily handles them. But once again, it's never made unrealistic. It's made like he's just this dominant badass. And you actually see the frustration on Kong, like that entitlement of, you can't be doing this. I'm the one that's in control. I'm the best fighter around. And he just manhandles him until he's at, able to weasel away because the big guy wakes back up and then uh, Detective Ma has to then handle him. Yeah, it, it's, it's really uh, it's really a special fight sequence. Yes. Uh, and having them sort of back to back because you get to see you get to see certain strategies against each other and then so they're basically two two groups that are out to try to kill each other and then you have you have detective ma in there who's not trying to kill anybody he's trying to make arrests right and so his strategy is different his strategy is i know you have to come to me and you're going to try you're going to try and come through me to get past me so he it's it's i just love how the strategy of these of Say, takes place in the same room of how the how the strategy influences the choreography and the believability right. of what we see because we completely believe the eight against two or ten against two knife sequence and then we then we basically believe a two on two but essentially two on one fight sequence 
Both men have knives. He has he has his fists and his throws and his and his grips and his grappling. It's really uh, it's really done so well. And how each person uses the environment and how it's choreographed differently. What I always appreciated about say like Richard Norton's choreography is essentially he doesn't choreograph one style for a film. He choreographs to the to the actors strengths and the environment that they're in and that's what we get in these two sequences it's the the choreography is just spot on with this film so hard hitting and they also do a great job in both parts of this sequence of utilizing the environment like you were kind of hinting at but when in terms of picking up objects around them running into walls running through walls running through cabinets slamming against stuff right and uh it's great because it selective ma has this like he has different ranges in how he'll fight, whether he's boxing you, you get overly aggressive and come at him. He'll literally duck underneath, pick you up and throw you. Or, you know, he can jujitsu style, like I can jujitsu style, hold you. He can judo sweep you or throw you or and occasionally kick you. So yeah, the, the choreography is just so clean and crisp throughout, even for some of the more underlying characters, which doesn't really happen until the finale. So after that sequence, action takes them back to South Korea because now uh, the Kong character is after the actual billionaire himself because he wants his money back because the mercenary stole it back. So that's what takes us to back to Korea. So then there's a big sting operation in the end after uh, the billionaire is kidnapped and they want his wife to bring them even more money now. So uh, they have a whole sting operation set in place. Uh, Kong now has two new buddies, uh, former Korean terrorists he's worked with before that have fled to the philippines but they're not as trustworthy and you know but they're also very vicious because they end up killing the new mercenaries that the billionaire is hired to protect him Uh, i believe they're actually chinese mercenaries you only hear him briefly talking uh, for a second but so our finale has this whole sting operation that goes down so it starts off with some car chase sequences detective ma recruits uh a criminal that he knows uh that's a uh, one of the like few reoccurring characters from the first film. Once again, you don't need to have seen the first film to to get it. But so we have a great like car chase sequence. We have the cops trying to figure out where their hideout is, where Kong is hiding out doing this whole operation. So we get, uh, once again, some more knife action. We get two of uh, Ma's, uh, Detective Ma's underlings uh, that are uh, taking on the two the two new Korean uh, terrorists. And so they're not as physically gifted as Tegma or as physically capable or knowledgeable, but they bring their own physicality, right? Like mm-hmm. the one guy is about to get just literally hatchet to death when his buddy jumps in, tackles the other guy. So we have a great fight sequence there where it's two on one, where they're utilizing what is like their kind of basic preliminary police tactical uh instruction that they've received with like the nightsticks and stuff to take down this guy we have detective ma who eventually catches up to them and takes out the other one once again with just some jujitsu and amazing punching (laughs) uh which then leads us to the final after all that action then we have the final final confrontation between ma detective ma and kong on a bus in a tunnel Mm mm-hmm and 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 I was going to ask you, uh, should we prepare a list of like top five bus fight bus fight sequences? But there's so many that to do it justice, we can't do that that quickly. But this 
Might be up I mean, there. Well, I've always wanted to do the elevator fight sequences, the top five elevator oh, fight sequences, great. which I think is kind of one that's a little more established, like, and you see a lot in movies. I think that would be a really good one. Uh, but anyway, back to our film. Yeah. So they're on a bus. He catches up to him because the our uh, villain is trying to escape on a, a bus and it gets stopped inside of a tunnel. Detective Ma has set up like a roadblock. He gets on the bus, kindly asks everyone to evacuate the bus. And then that's when we have this final little discussion between the two where he he offers him the bribe. And then yes. the best part is he's just like, no. And then knowing that this guy is like a knife fighter, he takes off his belt this time and wraps it. Once again, so calm, but just wraps it around his hand. So he has a little bit of like a, a shield for parrying and kind of blocking the knife. And this is where we get the final fight sequence, which is just as equally as good as our middle sequence but maybe even better in the sense of it's the two of them because the reason i love it so much is yeah the the knife guy he cuts him quite a, mm-hmm. a, like three or four times little cuts but detective ma just manhandles him and you see how frustrated this guy is getting like to the point of screaming because he's just not getting his way and y- you you see that sometimes in the in the gym even when you're you're kickboxing or you know when you're sparring a guy especially like maybe a uh, a newer guy or a lower level guy that you know thinks they're maybe a little bit better than they are or you know and they just get frustrated like that frustrate everyone gets frustrated but they get that kind of like whiny frustration where it's like uh-huh. and that's how this guy gets and Ma's just man the punches some of the punches it, it, are it's, so brutal they take the wind out of him and his 16 ancestors before him yeah, no, absolutely. And and the whininess uh, and the the frustration and shock, it's it's straight out of like uh, one reason I did quote a Karate Kid film. It's, it's like Karate Kid 3 with uh, Matt Barnes being all upset when he's like getting beaten, like slapping the ground. I know he doesn't do anything like that, but you can just see that level of like frustration and angst and just the absolute total dominance in this scene. It's so clean and fun to watch and see uh and again it like comes down to how how the choreographer works with the performers in these unique spaces mm-hmm. uh and then also how the performers just execute and it is so I, I again like as i'm watching this i'm just i have a smile on my face because they're just it's so well done it's astonishing it, there's some moments that are actually quite astonishing yeah, as as I said, some of those those punches he lands where it's just like it just yep. takes the life out. And then there's one sequence where he kicks him like twice. And once again, with Don Lee's build, he's not going to be doing head kicks. He's not going to be doing anything crazy, but he does like two power push kicks, almost like mm-hmm. teams in Muay Thai while uh, Kong is kind of rested against the wall. And he does one and then he does a second one. And you're just like, that would like they're stomps almost and they would just break a normal human being in half. Uh, and then obviously he picks him up, he throws him, he trips him, he sweeps him. But then at the, and then he throws his head through a window. It's like, especially when he will manage to cut Detective Mai, sort of like, oh, now you, you've asked for it. And then the, the final, final move is he does this running sidekick that just sends him through. And then even on the outside the bus, you got to give it to Kong because he never gives up. He grabs a windshield wiper off a car and slices. Mm-hmm. Uh, Detective Ma across the face, but then at the end, Ma picks him up, slams him against a car windshield, uh, and the best part is, still till the end, Kong thinks he's gonna, you know, eventually beat him, and he says to him, "I'm going to kill you," 
and Detective Ma kind of ignores him at first. He's like, I'm going to murder you and your whole family. And that's where he straight up punches his head through the windshield of that car. And you're just like, hell yeah. Well, and, and, and again, like with, with that sequence, you know, a lot of films have shown from the point of view of the fist, right? Or you've seen the face, you've seen right. the brutality. What you see, it's, it's, it's the angle from inside the car. So you see the, you see the, the back of the head come through. It's so you so it's so brutal. It's a, you see gosh. the actual power, yeah. of the of the strike. I mean, it's but it's like what I what I like about this film is it's not trying to be grotesque, right? It's it's telling a story the whole way through, and I think we've talked spoken about this before, where the script should propel us to the fight sequences, and the fight sequences should propel the story on, and that's what we get from minute one of the roundup through this final, through actually the final closing minutes of the roundup, which goes beyond just this sequence. It doesn't just end there. You know what I mean? Like, like some, some films tend to end just at that moment. There, there's actually a little wrap up yep. to the roundup. To the roundup, our wrap up to the roundup. So we're already coming at our hour mark. Uh, highly recommend this film. It is on Tubi, but be careful. There's two versions. There's the English dub and, uh, in Korean. I highly suggest watching it in Korean if you can. Uh, I, I don't know if the English dub is. I'm, it's okay. They, I mean, they try their best with the new ones, you know, and they do, yeah, yeah. It, they I, do a I, relatively I, good job. But I just feel like you really should give it a chance watching it in Korean. I, I, cannot, I cannot recommend enough uh, listening to Don Lee's voice. Yeah. And, and, and his delivery because there are so many layers in in his acting ability, which is uncanny in a way, if you consider what his what his pre trained to Busan career was, he wasn't from as I'm reading, he wasn't like a trained no. Shakespearean actor. No, this, but he has so much natural range to not listen to him deliver the lines. Uh, you kind of you kind of lose one of those layers for sure. But I, I, I checked out the dub as well. The dub is fine. The dub is fine. I watched a bit of it once on accident uh, when I was first watching the movie. Yeah. And it was okay. So, yeah. but, and that's something we briefly brought up earlier. I think like, once again, not to take away against our machismo action stars of the 80s, because Arnold had some great acting performances and grew as an actor. Stallone was obviously a, a trained actor and had some amazing performances as well. But there's just something special about Don Lee where in this kind of role, he almost surpasses them in comparison to some of their you know, classic roles. Well, it, but it, 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 think, think of like, this is on par with like, you know, Stallone at his best, like in a cliffhanger, right? Where we get Stallone being the action hero, but having vulnerability and stuff. That is different layers. That yes, it, that is completely, completely on point. Yeah. And so once again, definitely give this one a go. It's on Tubi. You don't need to have seen the first one, but The Outlaws, the first one I believe is on Tubi and also has an amazing ending fight in a bathroom, which could be another category for best bathroom fight. Uh, but yeah, you and if you really want to see another great standalone Don Lee film, Unstoppable is another really good one. It's kind of like a take-in type story. Uh, and I, I like that one just because it's a whole different kind of character. You don't know he's really a badass till partway through the film. But anywho, uh, highly recommend this film. Uh, I did not think of something for Language Corner. So how More about I just teach us how to say Korea in 
Chinese? Okay. Yeah, we so, can do that. South Korea. Would you, it's very simple. Han Guo. Han Guo. Yep. H A N. Han. Han Guo. Guo. So Guo is like the word for country, like America's big. Yeah. So Han so, is south or Han? No, no, no. Han is like, I believe. Uh, like Khan. Huh? Never mind. Go ahead. Oh, okay. No, no, no. So <laughs> when, it, when it comes to north, south, east, west, you're uh, Beibian, Nambian, Sibian, uh, Dongbian. But uh, the, the actual Han character, uh, let me see if I can look it up real quick. Okay, let's see here. Yeah, it's just a character. Uh, ah, so it goes back to the a state during the Warring States period in the present-day central Henan and southeastern Shanxi provinces. And it's also just the, the character for South Korea. And it's also a surname. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, in in, in uh, Japan, Korea, Korea is referred to as Kankoku. Oh, okay. So Han, so, that's why I said Khan. So oh, okay. Kankoku. I was a little confused. But yeah, uh, there we go. Han. Yeah. Sorry, I confused myself. Yeah, Hanguo. Right. Yeah, Hanguo, which gets really confusing because then to say the Korean language, like you use you uh, afterwards, it's Han uh, Han Yu, but then also Han Yu is how you is the formal is the word for formal Chinese studies. So it gets mm-hmm. really confusing. Technically, Korean language and then the word for formal Chinese studies is the same pronunciation, different tones, and that's why we love Chinese. <laughs> okay so on that note this has been fun our second video once again uh hopefully in a few weeks here we'll get it in a system where we're able to record in advance uh, and have the video and the podcast come out on the same day and, and i'm not I, I think you're doing a great job because i'm i know i'm bobbing my head a lot i'm a little closer so hopefully uh hopefully this works out i'll take a close look make a few adjustments for the next time there we go all right my friend this has been fun take care peace